And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play. A podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Hello, gentle listeners, and welcome to Two True Freaks Presents The Long Play, the show where we look at the greatest rock albums of all time, as well as those that deserve a second look. I am your co-host, Mr. Luke Giaconetti, and I am joined today by one of the founding members of the Two True Freaks Podcast ne- Network, Mr. Christopher Honeywell. Good evening, Christopher. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. And we are very glad to have you here tonight, sir. There's a funny sound about about the show tonight. Is there? I'm, I'm not hearing anything. I don't know what it is. Oh, uh, wait, hold, hold on. P- please bear with me one moment, gentle listeners. I have the problem here. I, I have my NPR filter checked. Hold on one second, and let me let me uncheck this and refresh. Hold on. How do I sound now? Uh, great. Yeah. yeah, we're good. We are good to go. <laughs> the funny thing is, I'm drinking Earl Grey tea. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, despite the NPR filter having been on for our intro, we'd, uh, uh, Chris and I would like to welcome you to the very first edition of Two True Freaks Presents The Long Play, where in fact we are going to be looking at some of the greatest rock music albums of all time, as well as those that may deserve a second listen. And uh, this is a show, you know, Chris, we've been talking about doing this show, it seems like forever. For at least a couple years in concept. But you sort of put a name on it a little while ago, and ever since then, it's been pretty much, you know, the ball's been rolling as slow as the ball rolls in Two True Freaks. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been a very, very slow percolation, I think would be the correct Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, as 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 we said, this is we've been gotten requests to do a show about rock music or just music in general, and this was a concept that uh, Chris and I and a few other folks on the network had just kind of kicked about as a, a way for us to talk about some of our favorite music of all time, and and maybe something that may not be particularly in in one of the one of the contributors' wheelhouse, but is something that's important and worth listening to, and. Uh, I, I think we've. We, I know we've got a heck of a lineup of, of, of albums planned to cover, but I think we're starting off really with a doozy tonight, especially yeah. the origin of how I joined the Two True Freaks Network. That's true. It, I don't know if it was really as much about this specific album, but it was about the Beatles. Yes, indeed. That's for sure. Is yes. uh, 
Luke and I, our first real, like, I don't want to say face to face, but just like direct conversation was basically, <laughs> basically me grandstanding about how awesome the Beatles were. And then we got into a, what was, I was saying stuff like, you guys wouldn't have your heavy metal if it wasn't for Helter Skelter. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then and, and then Luke just started jumping in with facts, and I'm like, "Oh shit! I thought I could get away with this stuff on a comic book forum." <laughs> yeah, well, it was the it was the Comics Monthly Monday where you guys talked about overrated talent in comics, and mm. uh, you, you reference about how um, with with the Beatles, and and for those that that may not have picked up, we're going to be talking about a Beatles album tonight. We're going to be taking a look at or taking a listen to, I should say. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, which, of course, was released in 1967. But in, on that episode, Chris made a very kind of sidelong reference to, I think you're talking about Grant Morrison and saying that, you know, uh, that with, with, it's not like with the Beatles where it's, uh, you know, intelli- it, his was kind of a fake intelligentsia and theirs was kind of a real intelligentsia. And my response was the Beatles, <laughs> stupid hippie drug band. started the argument which led to which eventually led to the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror that's a true story Mm -hmm. so but uh so uh when we were talking about it i I had said to chris uh i said what do you want to do he goes well he goes we we should do a beatles album i said well you go ahead and pick it because i don't know i don't know jack and spit about the beatles and uh so i I left it up to him and uh well this is certainly not going to be the album that changes your mind about hippie drug band (laughs) for sure Although I didn't think of, I, you know, I think I picked this one because it's just to the general public the most iconic Beatles album. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe that's a boring choice for you know the first thing we did here. Maybe we could have done some obscure Captain Beefheart album or something like that. Yeah, but I, I figured if you're gonna go, gonna get started, throw down the gauntlet and start mm-hmm. with what, you know most most famous rock albums of all time. And and another thing I want to just because, man, I've been waiting to talk about music because I got a lot of like, I I'm not a you know like, I am a vast warehouse of musical knowledge, but not as much trivia, but more in the connections of stuff. But I don't get to discuss that much in in Two True Freaks. It's all the nerd aspect of it. So I've still got this whole memory bank full of of stuff that I could be blabbing about that I'm not. So it's this is going to be like lancing a boil or something. It's oh. it's I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best analogy in the world. I'm going to take that one back, I think. Yeah, so if anyone is still listening after that, I'm like a cow that needs to be milked. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez. So yeah, I'm I'm I think I'm just trying to say don't expect this to be like, you know, here comes the the album we're gonna tell you you know the history of the album how it was made what was going on in the studio although there will you know as we remember stuff like that I'm sure we'll be throwing stuff out like that but it's not gonna be like a documentary oh. sort of show it's pro- it's gonna be in the. In, in the pretty much the same vein as most two true freaks where we relate it to our own experiences and our own opinions and lives and stuff oh yeah that's i mean I, i'm i i'm like that i'm the stereotypical guy i don't know much about music but i know what i like mm-hmm. yeah 
So, uh, so unless we get into some, you know, so, some definite heavy metal, I'm not going to add on my element with the history, but... But you guys know me, I love to do research. So. Oh, we definitely should get into some heavy metal. Uh, and just, you know, I'm not going to name names until they start showing up on the show, but we got some other two true freaks, heavy hitters, and some newcomers, too, that, that are going to be planning on playing in long play. So we'll get, I think we'll hit all over the, the genres. And, and all because you and I are here blazing the trail for those mm-hmm. to... <laughs> got our machetes out. Yeah. Chete. <laughs> right, so uh so Sergeant Peppers. So uh, yeah, yeah, let's let's dive right in. Yeah, like I said, this uh, album was released in, in 1967 and, and to me the weird thing about this album when I first started reading as as where where does the quest for all knowledge always begin? Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So I started reading on Wikipedia and they're talking about how the band had decided that they couldn't sustain touring. So they, they just said, well, we're going to stop touring, which is, you know, when, when, you're, when you're making lots of money, you can do that, you know. Uh, and, and so they went in to make this album, and that's where a lot of the kind of more experimental sound and stuff came from on this album, was just because they didn't have to worry about touring so they could do, you know, ex- explore influences and interests uh, musically, and it all kind of ends up on the page, so to speak, with mm-hmm. this. And play with new technology, as it were. They were definitely on the cutting edge of that. They had people inventing stuff to multi-track and stuff. Uh, the guy who, I can't remember his name, but they had a guy who was inventing, um, and this was probably later on, more in the Apple phase, who was inventing stuff that, I don't know if he really knew how it worked and, <laughs> and things like that. But they were definitely pushing the limits of multi-track recording and yeah, especially for the the time. That was the thing that stuck out with me because I've I've actually heard this album before. Uh, about two years ago, I listened to this album and I, I gave it a listen. And I was like, oh, okay, but I was thinking more about the time frame and, and mm-hmm. what was on in 1967 and what the other music was, and you know the the kind of stuff now you listen to it, you almost kind of take it for granted, like you said, for multi track recording and, or I mean, to me, it even sounds like early sampling and remixing. But in, in 1967, this wasn't happening. You know, no, it was a kind of one take wonder sort of thing is what the music most of a lot of the music was. I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the music was at the time. So taken in just that, by necessity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So taken in that context, it, this kind of puts a whole new spin on it for me. And and really the song that, that most epitomizes that uh, that kind of, you know, multi-tracking and real concept uh, album is the the first track which is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band What I thought was really funny is they they do the production for a live sound for this you know music hall band mm-hmm. for a, that didn't tour anymore. Yes, <laughs> but they but you know I mean but it's funny because it's a live music hall sound, but it's also the sound of an orchestra tuning up, mm-hmm. and it sounds like a very it sounds like a very um, well then again British crowds in those days were a lot of times pretty. Um, 
mild mild mannered, especially if it was in a hall or something. If it was in a bar, maybe something different. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't blame them for not touring anymore because at that point, the limitations of live music equipment was that they couldn't even hear their own instruments when they played. So why even why even bother? You know, at that yes. point. Right. Right. And and you and here again, it's it's the same knock that's thrown at a lot of modern bands. You can't reproduce this sound live, so why bother? You know, whereas the modern bands will bring a synth and try and fake it. There was no way you could reproduce this sound. And then this track is a perfect example of that. There's no way you could reproduce this without it just being a recording. You know, there's no way to real. Un, un, you know, you uh, could technically, if you went into Spike Jones territory and you brought out an orchestra. Right, and you and you spent a lot of time miking it up and stuff. You could conceivably do it under controlled circumstances, but it would be, yeah, it would not be realistic. Can't tour at all. No show. You can't do a tour like that. No, not until the seventies. <laughs> you know, not until the Wall and stuff like that did that time period. Yeah, come and that was when te- you know, I mean. What we saw with a lot of bands these days, and you know, now that I think about it, I'm really quick Wikipediaing this. Yeah, okay. Um, Mothers of Invention, Frank Zappa's Freakout came out in '66. Yeah. So that was pretty montagey, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as cohesive. Like Sgt. Pepper's had a theme, like in the intro song, it's it basically is a statement of purpose. It's saying. Here's here's the beginning of the album. We're characters, you know. Here's our here's an introduction to our characters. Yeah. And uh, Ringo is now named Billy Shears. <laughs> and I think it, it's um it's amazing how well that that overall concept works, despite the fact that really the only people who bought into the concept were Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, because you know you talk to uh, or not talk to obviously, but Lennon George Lennon is or John Lennon has said that him and George Martin the producer and uh, Harrison and Dale said that no, we, they really didn't have much to do with that concept, and that they were just writing songs. They weren't, you know, thinking about the the Lonely Hearts Club Band personas that would allow them to do this. But that's the you know it, that's what makes it so brilliant because they are not the Beatles. They're this fictitious band. All the experimentation that goes on in this album seems like this band just doing their hall show one night. Yes, and they have different genres that pop up. And it and it works really well. Listened to listened as a whole as a whole album, you know. Yeah. Well, this was also the beginning of the Beatles becoming. I I mean, I always um, think they were the first popular band where it wasn't like one person and support players or one main character in the band. This the, they, these guys were in an ensemble, and this was I think the first. I mean, every every album they had a couple George songs on it. Ringo got trotted out to sing one, and McCartney and Lennon shared credits because they would trade A and B parts and stuff. But this one is is like the 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 sort of cut and paste style. I think is really McCartney. It shows up a lot, like by the end of Abbey Road and in a lot of his solo work, where he'll throw in, you know, he'll come up with Zappa did this too. He'd come up with all these melodies and just mush them together into one song one multi-parted part song and sergeant peppers is sort of a big version of that and but then it has space in it for some of the longer 
thought out pieces by George and and John. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so then you get parts where the the album will sort of settle down and go into a more classically written song. As yeah. as actually, I think that's a good segue to go into the the second song with a little help from my friends. What would you think if I sang out it too? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song And I'll try not to sing out a key Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends mm, I get high with a little help from my friends mm, Gonna try with a little help from my friends Just a classic classic and just i, I want to note that it's i i love what just the way it screws up djs forever after when they segue one song into another <laughs> but, and it's and it's a song that you want to play like on the radio so yeah. now like even even on the rock stations to this day but then again all the djs are are beatles fans so if you're gonna hear with a little help from my friends you got to hear sergeant pepper's yeah, and, and honestly, the two songs together are only about, you know, not even five minutes long. Mm-hmm. So you, you can play that or you can play a later Zeppelin song in the same time frame. You know, it's not the end of the world. That's I, true. I love Ringo's voice on this song. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that, you know, the, the old joke about the Beatles was that, you know, uh, uh, John was the, was the, what is it? John, yeah. Uh, John was the soul. Uh, Paul was the, uh, was the brains. And uh, George was the heart, and Ringo played the drums. You know, uh, but uh, but I, I I don't know. I, I love his voice on this song. I um, I know, think he, Ringo's kind of the Zen master heart of the band, actually. And and that in 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 again, in the little bit of, of research I've done, a little bit of Beatles I've listened to, he he's his influence is there a lot more than you think, especially on this album, both in uh, here where he gets to sing, and I'm, and again, I I his voice is just so different from everybody else's voice on this album. And it's it's a very straightforward musically mm-hmm. song, so it's very clear just him singing. Yep, that's my note is uh, this is this is one of the most stars or spangled up albums ever, but the first song that they really kick out on it is a humble, simple song. You know, yeah. it has a simple lyrics that are very straightforward, and I mean, it just ends up being one of the most charming songs of all time. You know, it's it's really kind of just a throwaway song. It, yeah, and and in a sense, it is. But you know, what, what's weird is on on repeated listening, what you pick out is the lyrical theme, where Ringo will ask a question, and then the the ba- the the rest of the band will answer the question in the backup, and you can see john lennon's influence on that because the the when you when you really listen to it i mean everybody remembers the, the chorus and the refrain you know but if you listen to the the the, the lyrics in the actual verses it's it's a it's a little heavier than the music might suggest and it really does mm-hmm. kind of like i said it, it's kind of you know the sort of lyrics one expects from john lennon but hearing ringo Starr sing them they sound it, it's you know still has that kind of upbeat sort of feel to it with with ringo singing it yeah, he's your doofy older brother, you know. 
and uh, and and a great message as well. I mean, again, I'm I'm not I'm not big on on uh, drug bands or drug lyrics. I mean, even I can can let can you know let slide with I get a little high with the help of my friends. It's it's such a you know again it can a, be taken so many ways. But then again, by you know we <laughs> we'll be finding out real soon that you know that. <laughs> There's only so much you can stretch that metaphor before you start really s- suspecting that they're actually talking about drugs. Oh yeah, and and um, it's I mean there's been so many covers of this. This is still the best version of it. There's oh no- yeah, you'll never beat it. Never, never, never. Not even Ringo singing it live will ever beat just the the kind of perfection of this. Yeah, and you get the the you know the whole zeitgeist with him. You know, Billy Shears being introduced and the the crowd cheering and everything. It really is just a and again, 1967. Thinking about this level of production, and this many tracks being mixed together, it's 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 a, a kind of a technical marvel as well as a sonic one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Especially, you know, nowadays, even with all the cleaning up technology and all that, um, it still sounds beautiful. But it doesn't really sound that much more beautiful than it did on the off the actual record you know back in the day mm-hmm. this could have been you know i've heard lots of bands after this album who tried to do similar things to this and you just end up with a a, a kind of muddiness you know yeah over the yeah. whole thing and it's not that doesn't happen in here it's a very busy album but it's not crowded yeah, everything space you know, from a from a thematic standpoint and a musical standpoint, everything like I said has its own space to kind of exist in in its you know relative to its to its uh, neighbors. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's just on the edge. It could have been a mess. I mean, look, and when you look at the cover, that's the cover is the perfect. It's just like everything thrown onto the cover. Yeah. So it could have been as busy as as that, but the the cover is a perfect reflection of the album because it's really busy. It has all the elements thrown in there of of their influences and and stuff they liked but at the same time there's a kind of theme to the picture too you know that there's people at a funeral and past and present things it's it's uh it's eclectic but it's coherent yes you know and and speaking of eclectic (laughs) third song yes (laughs) sky with diamonds Self in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope Another, another iconic Beatles song. Yes. The, the the first two right off the bat are two are like on onto the greatest hits album. Um Yeah, so far so much for humble on this one. <laughs> All the stops are thrown out on this one. Oh my my note is Ugh Psychedelia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh, the I will say the from a even the subject matter and the uh it, this is the kind of music that in high school made me want to punch people in the face. You know? <laughs> these guys hey man it's like oh my god you stupid chiba monkey get the hell away from me but that notwithstanding 
I'm, I'm not sure if it's if it's an organ or a harpsichord that is being played in this song. It is a harpsichord. They really love the harpsichord. They really got their use out of the harpsichord on this album. I'm guessing it was John playing that or, or Paul. I'm not sure. It could no- have been either one of them. More likely Paul. Paul's the one who did the most like piano lessons and stuff. But George, actually, all, all, all of them could play piano to a certain extent. It was most likely Paul or somebody. Some of our listeners, like Bertoniel, probably is probably just like pounding on the dashboard right now. <laughs> uh, on who I could look. I've got books that I could look it up, but it was probably Paul or John. I would. I'm betting Paul. Just because of the sort of baroque sound to it, you know. Yeah, but like I said, that the again the the subject matter notwithstanding, musically it's a it's a it's really strange, and lyrically, one, one thing I'm I'm always I'm not a I'm not a big rap or hip hop uh, fan. I just never really have been. But what I'm always hearing is oh that you know the the modern rap artist is so good at creating a visual just with words, and that's what that's what John Lennon does in this song. It's it's all you know you know girl with kaleidoscope eyes you know druggy trip out crap, but it's it, it's arresting the the way that they're able to describe the visual, and and you know really communicate that through just the lyrics on top of this just just wonked out music. There's and there's also a little edge to it. There's a little bit of uncomfortableness to it. But John Lennon once again, <laughs> and. I think that's usually what distinguished Beatles psychedelia from other bands psychedelia, which would be straight out mushy flowers and, and, you know, rainbows and trails and stuff. This, this, they always would capture a little bit of the uncomfortable and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to assume, but. I'm guessing that you probably weren't big on the LSD back in high school when, when, no. when you were first hearing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. No, so yeah, so it doesn't resonate <laughs> on no. that level. But no, then again, it's one of those songs. I think it's a very effective. Like I think he's he did a good job of sort of uh, communicating the the surrealism of of LSD. But I don't know how much of that is. Be- but I heard this song long before I ever thought about doing drugs. So I don't know how much of that is the song itself, and the the fact of the that like probably when I started taking LSD, I was like, let's put on Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, you know. So it's a chicken or egg problem. Yes, it is a chicken or an egg problem. <laughs> It's a psychedelic chicken and psychedelic egg, which came which came first. Oh man! Well, I, uh, and and you know we we talked about everything having its own space to work, and the transition here from Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds to Paul McCartney singing "Getting Better" is it, it's almost jarring. They're so yes. diff- they're so different, but you know lyrically, musically tempo everything is different about these two songs it's getting better all the time i used to get mad at my school teachers that taught me weren't cool they're holding me down turning me around filling me up with your rules i've got to admit it's getting better 
Yeah, right into an upbeat. The next thing is an upbeat. You can almost see the curtain close on one, yep. and then the curtain open and the lights come on bright for the next one, you know, whereas before it was all spots and mirror balls, man. Yeah, and, and now we're, we're into some solid pop rock, you know, and with, uh, I mean, almost, I mean, honestly, if I didn't know this was a Beatles song, you could, you could convince me this was like, you know, four or five years later and this was Wings. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I wouldn't have looked at you sideways. I, I think that's the interesting about this song is you can see the kind of sound that McCartney would, would create with Wings, that sort of, uh, that, that rock sound that was still radio friendly, that was catchy, you know, and, and had a, again the the upbeat sort of feel to it and uh and the the tuning of the guitars on this one the guitars are detuned a little bit on this song and between that and just the the kind of the drumming i, I think it has a kind of a yes. late for the drumming it's weird this almost sounds like very early i still a couple of years away but very early alice cooper which mm-hmm. is not surprising because the coop has said many times that the biggest his biggest influence musically were the beatles in fact, I, there's a story that him and his friends that eventually became the original iteration of the Alice Cooper band went uh, to a... They did a battle of the bands dressed as the Beatles. Uh, so I the, bet the, you they were really good, too. I just have this image of, of Alice Cooper with his with his face paint on, but with the mop top. <laughs> 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 Which is hilarious. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I think the only thing that keeps this from being a Wings song is the domestic abuse line that John Lennon... It's definite. That's definitely the, you know, um, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. That's John Lennon all the way. (laughs) Yeah, but, but, you know, but but then it's Paul McCartney. He goes, yeah, but, you know, things are getting better all the time. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't do that anymore, and I'm doing the best that I can from now on. And, And, you know, and it the music i mean when it hits that part it 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 goes into a sort of like a little bit of darkness descends on the song it sort of slows down and opens up a little bit but then it goes right back into the bump 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 after that yeah and and uh, another song that that that's been covered several times i don't know who did the cover but you hear this on tv commercials a lot for like appliances and such, you know, I think, I think it might have been Frigidaire appliances or something. He's got to admit it's getting better. But really? It's like, oh I've my heard god! That. I have to look it up. Yeah. I, again, it's. I uh, don't know if I want to. It kills my soul every time I see that. <laughs> I I remember something I, I said to you once back on the forum. I said I'm I'm all for covering. I'd have no problem with covering Beatles songs, and I, I was specifically referencing uh, Halloween's cover of all my loving which i think is absolutely fantastic oh my god but i said but but stop covering songs just to be ironic <laughs> yes stop <laughs> you know but but that that's a that, that could be a whole episode of the long play on its own terrible covers oh dear god i'm uh, someday i'm gonna hunt down <laughs> fiona apple over her across the universe speaking of weird i like not even weird but just bad ironic beatles yeah. covers trying too damn hard (laughs) all right well okay moving along (laughs) fixing a hole i'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and stops my mind from wandering 
You know the weird thing about this song is the, my first note. This sound to me, this sounds like the Doors almost. Yeah, you know that like, because uh, it, it's got kind of the strange melodies. It's got, yeah, it's got a little bit of um, um, oh, what is it from the first? Uh, oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Little little bit of that swingy, yeah, stomp to it. Mm. And it's got a lot of layers in there as well, which. Uh, you know that the doors would use to a certain extent with uh you know putting in harmonica and stuff like that but i mean uh it, a, a good song kind of a it, it doesn't it's weird because i i like the song but think you know looking back at the album it doesn't stand out nearly as it's much a little as, little fillery yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a bad song no it's i i think a lot of people it's it's this was also one of the high points of the horrible sergeant pepper's movie because yep. people just thought it was so awesome to see George Burns singing this song. <laughs> it was almost I, it was almost like Ringo Ringo Charming style. Yeah, they're getting more use out of the harpsichord on this one too. I uh, I like the lyrics in this one. I thought the the lyrics were were pretty good. You know, uh, see the people standing there who disagree and never win and wonder why they don't get in my door. You know, and yep. it's. You know, it, again, it, it is a little fillery on, on an album that has a lot of really well-known songs. This is one I went in completely blank on. So, well, but I, I, even know. the Beatles filler is still just delicious candy. Yeah. And usually, no matter how like vacuous poppy it is, it has something like that line. It has something in there that just catches your brain mm-hmm. as, oh, that's really neat, without being too clever, clever. Yeah, you know, John Lennon. I mean, just skirts that line to where you lose me on being a little too clever, clever. Mm-hmm. And maybe because he just was what one of the my first introductions of it, so I give him some some psych. But it doesn't show up in the movie or in the music too much. You don't get too much of that. Like, hey, look what I did here. You see what I did here? Yeah, I'm, and, I'm reminded of uh, of something that I read once. It was talking about in them. What album was it? It was Iron Maiden's album "Peace of Mind," and uh, or no, it was it was Power Slave. And there's a there's a song on Power Slave called uh, "The Duelist," which is uh, it, it's like the definition of a filler metal song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Iron Maiden's filler metal songs would be number one hits for other bands. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's all kind of relative. <laughs> and uh, now uh, talk about now as far as a memorable song. Track number six, She's Leaving Home. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins. Silently closing her bedroom door. Leaving the note that she hoped would say more. She goes downstairs to the kitchen, clutching a handkerchief. Oh, man. Just, uh, this is something else here. It's a really emotive, 
a, a complete out and out ballad on a song on an yeah. album it, a maudlin know, ballad yeah and and man the the combination of the the music and lyrics in this song uh is i mean it's it's you know paul and john both sing vocals on this and man this song really just kind of brings it all together from an emotional standpoint yeah this song always um this song always when i was a little kid was one of the first ones on this album that really caught my attention maybe because it had such an such a clear narrative to it mm-hmm. that as a kid i picked right up on it but now as an adult i'm thinking that this might be i gotta see i think eleanor rigby came after this um and i think this might have been like one of the beginnings of eleanor rigby it's sort of a more hopeful um take on the eleanor rigby story but it's still kind of sad because it's you know it's somebody uh, leaving what sound like very controlling parents but it's still you know it's still a sort of sad thing for everybody it's very it's very well once again it could be just total saccharine right and uh and maybe a lot of it has to do with they were the first ones to really I mean, I think this is sort of also like this song and Eleanor Rigby were really like what influenced the pre um, Saturday Night Fever Bee Gees. Yeah. Is is this this sort of song very kind of baroque, you know, um, almost like a classical piece with with um, lyrics over it rather than it's definitely not a rock song. No, it's it's really not. I mean, if anything, it's more like a folk rock song. Yeah. Thing else, I mean, the the, the use of strings uh, in in there is again just very evocative and very uh, emotional. And you know, the the line that it's it's not a Beatles lyric, but the line I was reminded of when I was writing notes for for this track was "Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way" uh, from Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. It it has that you know the. Where, it, like I said, it, it's a, it's the back half of the '60s in the United Kingdom. It, there, this type of store, this type of thing was was common. You know, there was a lot yeah. of going on with the social revolution in, in Great Britain, and you know the the line of that the parents have of you know what is it they um, um, no we we gave her everything money could buy, and then the line the fun is the one thing money can't buy. You know, this is one of those. You know, I, I talked to, uh, in fact, we've both talked about this. Uh, that you know, uh, certain things have meanings for you at different times of your life. Uh, the example I always use is, you know, just to bring this back to Two True Freaks. You know, Return of the Jedi means one thing when you're a son, mm-hmm. but it's something totally different later in your life when you're a father. Yes. You know, and this song is one that's like that because when you're younger, I, I think, and, and I hadn't heard this song till I was a parent, but I can see how you can look at this as a as a teenager or a young adult and think about it in, in one very certain way about this girl leaving home and her parents are, you know, they, you know, they, they're just kind of throwing their hands up and oh we don't know what else to do. And, but then when you're a, a parent listening to this, it takes on a whole new meaning emotionally. And, you know, the, their, their refrain of, we got her everything money. We gave her most of our lives. We bought her everything money could buy. You know, you don't, you don't know what you're doing most of the time. You're, you're doing the best you can. Right. And, you know, and in, in, in this case, 
what they were what they thought was the best move wasn't and and now they're they've have this this emptiness that they have to deal with forever and their you know their daughter is going to have the same bit of emptiness because she left her parents and so it's right in the right smack dab in the middle of this album where we've had uh, you know all these uh you know, mostly upbeat or at least, uh, you know, thematically upbeat songs. We get this one. Yes. Uh, because John Lennon hates us all, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I like about this, and, and this is also as listening to it as a, not as a parent, but as an adult. And I like it because it could have been very, since, I mean, the Beatles were writing this in their 20s and, you know, they were part of that, the youth re- revolution. They could have been very disdainful of the parents but it's not it's a, it's sympathetic it's a sympathetic story from all sides and you get the idea that the parents made mistakes and don't understand their daughter and stuff but that but they're not like horrible parents you know they're not horrible oppressive fascist parents mm-hmm. they're they're just at, at at worst they're confused at the end of it and misguided yeah yeah <laughs> just from her the only logical transition is to <laughs> the benefit of Mr. Kite. <laughs> the benefit of Mr. Kite, there will be a show tonight on trampoline. The Hendersons will all be there, later Pablo Frank is there, what a scene. Over men and horses, hoops and garters, lastly through a hogshead of real fire. In this way, Mr. K will challenge the world. This song um, was one of the first songs I learned like to play on my keyboard and on my banjo because just the way the chords run together, they must have just been working these chords together and been like, oh my God, I found this chord progression that's just great to play. You know, it just sound, it just flows really nice. And I think that's sort of like how this happened and it became a happy accident that in some ways, this is kind of a um, a centerpiece to the whole. Well, it is a centerpiece since it's. I, I believe this is the last song on the first track on side tra- side A. Yep. It, it it it's not talking about Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, but it's in that theme. It's in the theme of a circus show poster. Yeah. Basically, that's what it was written to be. It was like reading a circus show poster that they put up in the town. Yeah, and I mean, my, my first thought is, what the fuck? But then, oh my God, this is so catchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the song is, is just, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous song, but it has so much fun with the, the, you know, the, the absurd, absolutely absurd lyrics the evil clown music, you know. Yeah, that, which they took like some harps. There was, I don't think it was a harpsichord. It was actual like a steam um, merry-go-round. Yeah, and well, they I, cut it all up into segments and looped them around. So that was all George Martin having fun. Yeah, I mean that that, but the you know the the calliope music in there, it's 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 crazy. And then in the second half, you know Ringo's percussion, it sounds so precise. Yes. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a you know I'm, I'm, I like uh, I like drumming, so I, I tend to listen a lot to uh, the the drum track and try and you know pick up you can you if you you know and this it, you can always hear little differences 
when they're hitting a, a you know hitting the same beat over and over, there'll be little differences in how it hits on the track that they use. But it's so precise; it almost sounds like it's a like it's a drum machine or a, or a sample, but it's not. It's Ringo. It's Ringo. He's <laughs> just dead on. It's like it, it's a little too precise for a song this crazy, but I like it. You know? I think he's doing that purposely, or, or well, I don't know if purpose, you know, consciously or subconsciously, but I think that's that was a little contrast. He's one of my favorite drummers of all time, and it was uh, what really convinced me was we had this guy Chucky who lived in our house, and his rent was that he had to play drums with the band, the pickup band that would play at our parties every two weeks. Ah, and. Uh, he would he he would practice all we every day two hours a day by playing music in headphones and playing along with it and he liked like jazzy stuff like Gentle Giant and stuff or Frank Zappa that was re- you know when he felt like doing a workout and he'd play to like Vinnie Caliuta Frank Zappa and stuff and if he felt really like he maybe had to lose some weight he'd do some Who songs yeah <laughs> but. When it was time and the band would be like, let's do a Beatles song, he would do, make this like Ooh, noise. And I was like, why don't you like doing Beatles songs? He's like, I don't like playing Ringo. It's too hard. I want to do it right or, you know, do it justice. And people talk smack about Ringo not being a very simple drummer or a basic or not very good. And it's yeah. just not true because there's just a lot. There's a lot of subtlety to what he does, and uh, and a lot of like tricky beats that you don't really notice in the context of the song because they're so well conceived that they add so much to the music that you're not thinking about the drum beat. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not like in. Um, I know, love you, Ringo. <laughs> Please excuse the lightness of my reply. <laughs> Little Simpsons reference for Ringo Starr fans out there. Um, it, it, yeah, it's it's not like much later from from this time period. If you get into like uh, death metal, where you've mm-hmm. got the the drummer is going to be playing two, um, you know, uh, two bass double drums bass, with, his, yeah. with his feet, and the the drum is the clear the even more so than the guitar in in a death metal band. The drum is the main instrument, and these songs are written around it. In, especially in this point, the drum was there to serve its purpose. That that Ringo, I think, on this album gets to use all these different types of percussion instruments. I think is a testament to the fact that he was really good at it. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, again, you're right. I mean, looking as as not as a non-Beatles fan, that's that's the obvious joke. Like I said, is that Ringo's kind of the the fourth man kind of thrown in here because they needed somebody to play the drums. But listen to this. I, w- I was impressed by how much of his work stood out on this album. I mean, I've got notes over and over about, wow, the drumming on this one's really, really mm-hmm. tight, you know, stuff like that. And, and again, you don't think about necessarily the, the percussion on being for the benefit of Mr. Kite because it's such a bizarre song in general. But it's really, really tight and well put together, especially in the back half. And th- this is a song, again... As, as much as I disliked Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, I love this song. I absolutely love this song. And what's really funny is that there is a Hawkman comic that is a, that is named Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Oh, no, really? Yes, where Hawkman and Hawkgirl fight Kite Man <laughs> at, at an air show. And what's amazing is that it wasn't even this. It was, it was released in the 80s. So <laughs> it was a throwback, a Silver Age throwback released uh, by Tony Isabella. 
wrote it, and I can't remember who did the art. Uh, I think Don Heck was the inker. But yeah, from the the. Well, remember, like around the mid '80s, there was a huge Beatles resurgence because oh, yeah. a John Lennon had died in '80, and '84 was the 20th anniversary of them coming to America. Yep, yep. So there was a lot of uh, there Which was is a fun. lot of trotting out. Yeah, stuff. well, we're we're at that anniversary again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember on the 20th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper's coming out. I remember I was in Watertown, New York, and I was walking from one place to another, and I thought, you know, from the time it takes me to get from here to the movie theater, it's about the length of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So (laughs) I started playing it in my head, walking, until I got to the movie theater. It ended a few minutes. It took me a little longer to get to the movie theater. But I think when you play stuff in your head, it plays a little faster than... uh, but that's how much I've listened to this album, you know, since I was a little tiny shaver. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, a song that, you say, songs you play in your head tend to go faster, one that's never gone any faster anytime I've listened to this album is uh, Within You, Without You. some psychedelia but this isn't the goofy kind this is the this is the brainwash kind when i was a kid i hated this song i this was i skipped over this song all the time yeah you know i i used to think that all the the sitar and indian influence on on this stuff that was always kind of cliched for the beatles i always used to think that was john lennon and and so for a long time i really didn't like john lennon then I, i i listened to this and i realized i actually don't like george harrison so. <laughs> this was basically like I like this song now. I like it. what what I really like is on the when they did the um, the re, that sort of reissue retrospective Beatles. Um, it was three triple albums, triple CD sets. I think on the second one they had just the the music track to this with no vocals on it. And I don't think it even had the sitar. It was just the strings. And it's beautiful. And I like that. So I like raga music now, and I like sitar music. But now that I've heard real, like, Ravi Shankar-style sitar music, I realize this was George Harrison was a guitar player, just got a hold of his his, um, sitar and was in the... the, um, what is it, Mel Bay, <laughs> you know, level of like he was learning his first tricks on sitar. Yeah. And this is what he came up with, which is, which was far out for rock and roll music, but for ragai kind of stuff, it was it was definitely like training wheels. Yeah. And so yeah. now it's sort of a like a in it's it's I listen to the song almost like is a, the historical part of it. It's like ah, here's the part where George Harrison was starting to get into Eastern mysticism, 
And, uh, but that was also the stuff for better or worse for probably just being annoying where Eastern mysticism got, you know, introduced to the West and started becoming in vogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, the song is, is, I don't know, it's kind of pretentious and overwrought. That that's I didn't have much to, I know that, that, I'm, that this is you know, a classic or whatever, but I couldn't get into this. And I, I guess I'm... I'm like, you, you said when you were younger, you always skipped over it. I guess I'm still at that stage. Well, you but know, it, and I, also I think about it. I'm like, I'm twice George Harrison's name age right now. And he's sitting there like he's like a guru. You know, it's very pro- the, the lyrics are very pro- proclaiming proclamations of, you know, and they've got a little bit. Another thing that always rubs me the wrong way is motivational sort of stuff. Yeah. Just always annoys me. And it's got a little bit of that motivational, you know, new age tinge to it that gets on my nerves but his heart was in the right place yeah i can see that well me yeah i think uh, are you ready to move on to the god i believe me i have nothing more to say about with <laughs> all right well this next one's one we're back into the one of the heavy hitters of you know another one of you probably end up on a greatest hits collection would be uh, When I'm 64. If, if, if I was, when this album first came out, I would have pegged this one for filler too. Kind of fluffy filler. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's very cutesy, this song. Mm-hmm. We really listen to the lyrics, and the, the end of it just gets downright silly, I think. But I, just, I, I like this song. It's, it is, I, I do, did get a little bit of a, a fillery taste off of it. But again, I, I, I thought, still thought it was a, a well-put-together song. And after, after the sitar fest from the last song, anything... Welcome respite. Uh, I also like that they managed to rhyme with the word sixty-four. I thought that was very impressive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this song got a big boost because it was played over the credits of uh, the World According to Garp, and it was just a. Have you ever seen World According to Garp? The credits are like a little baby being thrown up into the air, like a laughing, happy baby being thrown up into the air while they're playing this music, and it's just sort of a montage of the baby and. In free, you know, that free floating moments and then floating down out of screen and then it comes popping up and it's got that delighted babies. It's just a very charming opening mm-hmm. sequence to a movie. And I think that, like, gave this song a little boost. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the, the instrumentation in this song with the woodwinds and the use of the piano, mm-hmm. it helped stand out a little bit. And it does it's. Uh, the Wikipedia says that this was a song that they would prep to play if their amps went out, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, like, no, this was the backup in case they didn't, they couldn't use the guitars, and it's like oh, I can see that. But it, again, this this song was uh, kind of I think more in line with what I what I expected from the first half of the album. Mm-hmm. 
and I and I, and I liked it. I thought this uh, this song again. I don't I don't know that it's one I'm going to throw on the MP3 player, but when it came around, I was like, oh, that that's a, that was a pretty good song. It's once again, it's charming, and yeah. uh, I think it would have been ten times as charming with Ringo singing it again because Paul puts a little too much woo into it, but that's Paul, you know. Uh. <laughs> Ringo would have been more just straightforward, you know. Paul's got to gild the lilies a little bit when he sings, but it oh, works. But- it works. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know. There's, I, I mean, there's really no Beatles song that I don't like. That it'd be just like, ugh, I just don't like that song. So you're never gonna, <laughs> but I, I can sure find criticisms. <laughs> it's usually with Paul. Paul's the one. If I was in the band, I would end up fighting with Paul. I would have been, his, because just because of his, he's just too happy. If I yeah. met Paul now, I'd I'd have no problem with him because there's no other Beatles that you know the Beatles are running out and it's just Ringo and Paul and I'll grip to them for dear life. Plus, I hear if you play "Maybe I'm Amazed" backwards, there's an awesome uh, vegan soup recipe. <laughs> That's right. The <laughs> uh, next song is "Lovely Rita," the Meter Maid, and all I can say is I don't get this song. It's like it's an inside joke, and I'm not in on it. <laughs> It is, it is, um, it's surrealism, sort of. It's just sort of a surreal story. Although it could be a very realistic story about a date, you know, it could be a real story about someone having a date with a meter maid and it just sounds silly and, and weird because it's reality. So it's like, oh, I went over to her house and I had to sit next to her sister while we were waiting to go out on the date. And, you know, and I... I just love this song. Not the the lyrics are just doofy and there for, to fill in the space. But man, this this is the one that um, really showcases what I think is the magic of Paul McCartney's bass lines. I love his bass line in this. It's almost like a lot of times you can sort of see how you know a bass bass player will come up with their line they'll use the bass notes of the chord and it'll just sort of, and it fits in on the beats and the chord changes and stuff it sort of has to it's setting the the, the beat of it this one is doing it's like John Entwistle it's doing all sorts of weird like you know it's just sort of it, it, it's it's almost melodic in a weird distorted sort of way i don't know i just love it it's just very energizing and this was just one of my favorites as a little kid too and on top of or i should say beneath uh, that that bass line ringo's drumming once again just fantastic on this song i mean his fills in this song are the the they're just the prototypical ringo kind of break beat where you could 
cut them out, you know, pop, 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 and just make that into a rap song, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I, and uh, and and again, and good use again. Pretty much every song in this album, I could say the good use of just different instrumentation. The piano in this one, uh, very, and and this is going to be an obvious reference for me. Very Paul Williams A and M records mm-hmm. from eight years after this. You know, 1973, 1974, that AM sound, AM radio sound. That AM radio sound, and and Paul, he he also had the that sort. The, this has that song and dance man sort of feel to it, you know. Yeah, Paul um, Williams always put the little dun da 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 da, you know, kind of thing in there, and you get that here, and so that, and again, it. I mean, Williams was working in industry at this point, but he wasn't, you know, the hit maker yet. So obviously, this was the kind of stuff that would be influencing the songs he would write. And uh, and I, I keep coming back to that. I always have to try. I always have to keep myself in my headspace, saying, "Yeah, this is '67. This ain't '73 or '74." You know, when this album would have still been, it still would have been musically, you know, what it is. But it wouldn't have been this this kind of revolutionary sort of sound in a lot of ways, or production in a lot of ways that just wasn't being done. You know, and and again, a lovely Rita, a simple enough little song. You might not give it a second thought unless you're trying to listen to it critically. And then you pick up on, like you were saying, the, the Paul's drum, uh, bass line and Ringo's drumming. And that's the way everything kind of just comes together with this. Like I said, you, you said it could be a real story. I, that's, what I, that's what I meant. I said, it's, this is obviously some kind of joke that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Somebody had an interesting evening with a meter maid. So. Yep. yep. <laughs> and maybe your name wasn't Rita, but it probably just became Rita to fit in the lyrics better. This is a, this is one that especially it plays faster in my head. This yeah. one sounds maybe it's because there's this guy Roy Wood who did a cover of this. That's a bit. Was it Roy Wood? It might. I I think it was Roy Wood. I can't remember if it was Roy Wood or Jeff Lynne, but I'm pretty sure it was Roy Wood. That was a bit more amped up and and uh, I think it was maybe like a minute long at the, at the longest. You know, it just whips right through it. But. Anything, anything else on this one? No, I got nothing else on Lovely Rita. Let's move on to... Uh, more fluff. A, more fluff, but almost an actual rocker here. Ooh, with- I love this song. Nothing to do to save his life, call his wife in. Nothing to say, but what a day. How's your boy been? to do it's up to you i've got nothing to say but it's okay and and it's i mean we're we're now you know half an hour into the album and we've 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 run the gamut of different sounds so let's put in you know drum saxophone and guitar solo let's have an actual as close as we're going to get to an actual rock song rock and roll song here plus chickens (laughs) yeah the uh not (laughs) <laughs> the the music again the music on on this song i thought was really good i, I like the especially the and the vocalization the backup vocals as well the good morning good morning very very catchy but if you actually spend some time reading the lyrics not the not exactly super deep you John know lennon hated the song <laughs> hated this one and he wrote it yeah, and he was just like, "I'm not proud of that song. It's the most just piece of crappy fluff that I ever wrote. There was nothing behind it. It was meant to be a mindless 
song. You know what? I'm okay with that, man. It's it's in it's in the vein of the um, everything is awesome song from the Lego Movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's you know there's mindless and then there's purposely mindless and there's something there's nothing wrong with mindless music if it's fun. And this song, oh my God, I every Beatles fan in the world is gonna sit there. You know, and uh, do those Ringo boom, with the drums with their hands every time. And it, you, yeah, you talk about kind of mindless music, but it, but it's fun. It, this song again, and this is showing my influence. There's a there's a song on Halloween's album uh, "Keeper to Seven Keys Part Two, which is called um, "Oh Rise and Fall." And let's just say it's a song called "Rise and Fall" that incorporates a slide whistle at one point. And, and it's, it's the same kind of thing where the lyrics really are, are just there to be silly and there to, be, to fill things. But musically, it's so upbeat and fun, you can't, have, you can't help but enjoy yourself. And that's what I got from this song. Uh, you know, like I said, the guitar solo, very welcome at this stage of the album. Nice guitar solo, too. Total nice little Chuck Berry-ish. Yeah, and, and, and even the lyrics, they're, they said they're not super deep, but they work. You know, well, watch the skirt, you start to flirt, now you're in gear. It's like, for, for a song with this kind of beat and this kind of tempo, it's perfect. We're really a well-done a well done little rock song here. Yeah, I, I, and it's got a lot of the, it's got all the little Beatles flourishes thrown into a blender. The sing, you know, the singing, the, um, like the good morning, good morning. That was a very just Beatles shouty, singy thing. The time, yeah. say, oh, the switches of time signatures and tempo you know yeah. when it gets into the later afternoon and you're starting to strut around it gets a lot more burn 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 to it and everything i love it i love it yeah good that definitely a, a good sign that's one of my that's one of my absolute favorites on this album for sure definitely a good one poor john lennon spinning in his grave right now listening to us go on about this song yeah between this and that whole cameo we did in, in uh you know forrest gump uh <laughs> Which I thought was, I mean, I like Forrest Gump, but that was a bit Forrest. Okay, come on. Let's yeah. move on. Uh, the, next we get the, the reprise of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And uh, what's interesting to me is looking at this with, in a modern context, this sounds like a remix. It sounds like they just took the, the first track and cut it up and remixed it. They might have a little bit, but it has that sort of feel to it like, okay, it is the end of the show. The band sounds like they're a little more warmed up and a little looser and looser and tighter at the same time. You know, they're just sort of... They're, they're, they're warmed up, they're wooing in the background, and they're, you know, the crowd's all wound up, and they're getting ready to, to send everybody out, you know? It's, it's perfect. And once again, screwing with the DJs, yeah. they throw the segue in, which is a good thematic, you know, full circle with the beginning of the album. Yeah, it's, it's really, this, this, I think you're absolutely right, this is the, the band coming out to take the bow, this is the curtain of the show that segues right into the encore. 
mm-hmm. which, which is uh, a day in the life. Which is which is very dramatic, and it's also it reminds me of a lot of bands that I've seen that do long concerts. They pick an encore that's kind of slow to mellow everybody out and send them on their way, rather than you know, and everybody's tired. <laughs> you you you, uh, and also there, there's a certain feeling of, um, I, I, the word the word uh, the word I'm thinking of is epicness, but that's oh, not yeah. a, uh, where you end on a big powerful song i don't mean to keep coming back to the same two metal bands but when i saw iron maiden at the hammerstein ballroom the encore was uh hallowed be thy name which is uh, the final song on number of the beast and is a very kind of heavy uh dramatic epic song it's the longest song on that album and so you come in here and again we're ending with the longest song you know so this is the uh the heart and soul of the the quote-unquote serious songwriting on this album is on the what is the encore to the concept and and again and even fitting that it's in multiple kind of movements almost yeah it's that it's the prototypical you know that would see its its peak in like strawberry fields forever you know the multi-part multi-layered beatles epic yeah. Which is, this is obviously a John Lennon song, but right there in the middle, whoop, here comes Paul McCartney going, hi, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do a little funny bit here. Woke up, fell out of bed, dragged the comb across my head, found the way downstairs and drank a cup, and looking up, I noticed I was late, found my coat and grabbed my hat. Made the bus in seconds flat Found my way upstairs and had a smoke And somebody spoke and I went into a dream And then and then just beautifully brought back into John Lennon with the ah. And, and it starts out with a melancholy feel to it With the mm-hmm. mix of the percussion, the piano And it's all very kind of heavy And like you say, the, the second part is... Musically, it's it's got a similar mix of the drums and the piano, but the tone, both of the the instruments themselves and of course of the lyrics, 180 degrees the other way. Mm-hmm. And and but then the the third uh, then the third part where we're back to the kind of melancholy sound again, the tempo starts to pick up. It sounds a bit livelier as we're kind of building to our final crescendo. And then of course the the outro. Uh, one of the most famous and often parodied outros to ever to an album, uh, with Ringo dropping the finger on the <laughs> on that E chord at the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point that Weird Al actually uses that in uh, Nature Trail to Hell in 3D. That's how that song ends in the same way. <laughs> Even before I knew what this song was, I knew that ending. You know? <laughs> yeah, that uh, and. Um... I'm trying to remember. There's a there there was a there was a movie that used that chord 
just to do one of those magnificent, you know, where they zoom out from a person on Earth into this galaxy universe back and back and back. There was a... I, I wish I could remember what it was used in. The movie this moron is trying to remember the name of is Yellow Submarine by Die the Beatles. Moron. But yeah, it's it's become almost you know it, it's it's shorthand. Now. Yeah. I mean it was used in Bambi versus Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> You know, so yeah, I mean, I'd like to thank the people of Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, this this is a song that I've heard many times. Uh, obviously, still in heavy rotation on the classic rock station here in the upstate uh, of South Carolina, which is uh, uh, Rock One Hundred and One. And I've heard this song many times on the radio, and it it's it you know there's a reason why this song is is famous and is a, is an epic song. It's because it's really really well put together. It's that long note. I I just realized is the equivalent of what today they would call dropping the mic at the end of the song. It's just them going gong. That's yeah. right. You just heard it here. Yep. And uh, and, and you know to, to and I love good outros on songs. Um, the 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 mega song "Ashes in Your Mouth" has a, an one of my probably my favorite metal outro of all time. Which is just the uh, you know um, the boys hitting the same note and uh, Nick Menza hitting the same crash on his cymbals over and over and over again as it fades out, and so but it, it all comes back to this. This is you know that all other rock outros I think are related back to how well they end uh, to a day in the life, and it's it's very simple in a way. It's just the one note that uh, and please uh, jump in. I, I think I'm that this was. They recorded it once and then they dubbed it over like four times over itself or something Probably, like that. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And it's, so it's very simple in that sense. It's just one note, but it, it has such weight to it. And to sound like Star Trek Month of Money, it's such gravitas. Yes. To, you know, that it, 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 this is, you know, it, it puts a final stamp on the album that you've been listening to that, that's taken you in a lot of different directions. But now it ends with very simply just one note. And, and to its credit, it has not become pretentious and and cheesy in its old age as a lot of songs that had a message. Because I think maybe because of the indirectness of the message to it, or the you know that it wasn't a direct statement of something; it was more of a mood piece. But a lot of songs from that time period with serious messages just have not aged well. They're almost laughable now. Right. The, the, their message is almost subverted or, or was just plain silly. Mm -hmm. And I think the Beatles were smart to be less, you know, overt about saying what's good and what's bad and just sort of presenting a story and a tone and a mood that, that communicated to you that, you were getting you were getting something mm. that was that was you know intense or you know d d for lack of a better word deep and um and since they don't give it away it just it's well 
pretty much lives up to infinite listenings <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, l- listening to this, trying to be, to be critical about it. I mean, I, is this, am I going to say I'm a, I'm a Beatles fan now? No, I'm not. But I like this album. I like this album quite a bit. And I, and I was glad that we chose this one to listen to because it kind of forced me to listen to it critically. And, you know, even the stuff that I ended up not really caring for, it forced me to listen to it and, and see the merits of it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what, what, you know, what I'm always saying, a song is a song. You either dig it or you don't. But certain songs are last the test of time because they're well composed, well put together, well performed and well produced. And, you know, from top to bottom, this album is all of those things, you know. There are obviously some are, are better than others. Your mileage will vary, but it's it's such a well-put-together album that it still holds up, especially listening to it as an album. You know, it's only about mm. 40 minutes long. Or I think it's, yeah, I think the rest is like 38 minutes is what they're saying here yeah. on Wikipedia. So it's like, it's not it's not a huge investment of time to sit down with your headphones on and listen to this. You can do it on your lunch break easy. Unless you, unless you play the inner groove, man, then it plays forever. <laughs> Yeah, man. You can't own property, man. <laughs> I can because I'm not a penniless hippie. Did did the version you have have the inner groove on it? Do you know uh, about Sgt. Pepper's inner groove? No, I do not. I oh. listen to it on CDs, so no. Sometimes they throw it on like the, C- the, the CD release. There's an inner groove to Sgt. Pepper's after A Day in the Life where if you lift up the needle and put it in, it's it's just one repeating groove. Of the Beatles babbling, it roughly oh. sounds like and it'll just do. You can just sit your needle down in there, and it'll do that. Most needles won't do it because most record players it hits that point where it wants to lift up. But yeah. if you have one where you can disengage that or doesn't have that, you can just set it right down on on the old inner groove, and it'll play that till it wears the <laughs> the vinyl down. I wasn't sure what that was. It actually, the MP3s I have did have that on there. I wasn't sure what the hell that was, though. It has a. It also has a, a note up in a high pitch that only a dog can hear. So it supposedly should get your dogs barking too. I've cats, so I'm you. Yeah, <laughs> they would just get annoyed and maybe go under the couch at worst. Well, they're cats. They're always going to be annoyed. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> yeah, Four. I mean, all all told. From like I said, beginning to end, I, I enjoyed listening to this. I uh, I was I happened to be on the road, so I was in a hotel room, and I just put my laptop on the on the bed and put my headphones on and just laid on the bed and, and listened to the album, and I I really enjoyed it. And you know, this this is something I can I can see myself listening to again. I, again, I don't know if it's going to mean I'm going to branch out into more of their stuff but for this one in this case this album was is definitely worth the hype and lives up to it well one of these days uh we'll, we'll have to do the white album mm. i'd like to see what you th- what, think of a, a listening of the white album but i actually though next time i think it's it, it's my turn to get something outside of my wheelhouse so maybe you know sometime we'll have to do soon we'll have to do on uh something metal you know that your your metal version of Sergeant Peppers. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I and I've got some thoughts on that, but uh, uh-huh. won't, won't spoil that for next time. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really I was real happy with this, and you know what what's what's a good benefit to listeners of Two True Freaks presents the long play is that if they go to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link, they can go to Amazon.com and buy Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, mm-hmm. and a bit of the proceeds will kick back here to keep the lights on at Two True Freaks. They could probably buy it in so many. They could probably buy it on CD, on song by song. They could buy it probably. There's probably people selling used records of it too. So yeah. It, it's isn't it funny how vinyl's coming back? It's I, I don't think it's funny at all. I think it I I think it's a natural. I think I think it started with this is a rant for another time, but I'll give the compressed version of it. I think Oasis started ruining yeah. the wonderful CD sound by get it starting the loudness wars. Just Google loudness wars, yep. listeners, and you'll see why CDs these days pretty much sound like crap compared to vinyl now they've they started out having more sound capability than vinyl they still have that capability but the way they make them they're they're making them for volume rather than for sound quality because they somehow think they sell more if they're louder which has never been proven nope and and uh and i've read that again that oasis was one of the first ones to do it and then uh, Everybody know. just started doing it, and now they're remastering and remixing classic albums to get them back into the loudness, yeah, range. And basically, what not to get too technical because I don't really <laughs> know that much, but what they're doing is they're compressing the sound mm-hmm. so much, so you don't have to turn your stereo up as much to hear it loudly. But the more you turn it up. You know, it's just it's just squashing down the highs and the lows, and the more you turn it up, the more everything's gonna just sort of sound distorted and crackly. Yeah, any any uh, anyone out there who's ever played with Audacity, when yes. you've got something that's way too loud for the level, and it just looks like a big blue bar. Yes, it, a can... solid lump across the. It that... sounds really loud, but it also gets that sort of muffly sound. That's because you're losing. All you're, the dynamics of your recording. Well, I mean, even on you're losing data. You know, you're yes. compressing it, and you're losing uh, the granularity of the data. The highs and, and the lows. Exactly. And, and so, when you turn it down, you'll all of a sudden you'll see, you'll see peaks and valleys and shapes of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But again, that that is a rant for another time. Yes. So. Well, this this was a lot of fun, Chris. We'll have to do this again sometime. I'm glad that uh, yeah, this was a, I thought this was a great um, maiden voyage, and I'm actually I'm I'm recording I'm and once again I'm not going to spoil it, but um, I'm recording another episode tomorrow night with another person, so we're we're cranking them out, and yeah, uh, so look forward to regular long play, yeah, episodes. Keep your keep your ears tuned. Yeah, and. Um, until we get a, 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 our own email address, just go to our Two True Freaks Facebook page if you have any, uh, throw out some ideas of what records you'd want us to to do. We just might do them. Yeah. So be careful what you ask for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just be thankful we didn't start out with the um, the soundtrack to the film Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> Although there's some good stuff on there, but that's for another day, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's another rant for <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. Good night, everybody. Good evening. Yes. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, 
the commander Soltek. Soltek. <laughs> I said it. Who is that? Zoltek. Who's Zoltek? He's a he's an alien. <laughs> what kind of alien? A Tyrannosaurus alien? Yeah. Okay. You know they got those in Ninja Turtles, right? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks Presents The Long Play, the podcast where we take a look at the classic rock albums of all time, as well as albums that deserve a second look. I am your co-host, Mr. Luke Giaconetti, and I am joined by one of the founders of the Two True Freaks podcast network, my good friend, Christopher... I can't believe I just forgot your last name. Honeywell, sir. Hello. Hello. 